Welcome to another episode of Music, Money, and Life. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by HowToLicenseYourMusic.com. If you'd like to learn how to make money licensing your music in TV shows, films, and ads, visit HowToLicenseYourMusic.com today. In today's podcast, I speak with the Emmy Award-winning songwriter, Michelle Weiss-Maslin. Michelle is a songwriter, arranger, publisher, and producer who's had over 5,000 music placements in shows like Sons of Anarchy, Pretty Little Liars, Joan of Arcadia, Malcolm in the Middle, Guiding Light, The Hills, Laguna Beach, Ugly Betty, King of the Hill, and many, many more. Her accomplishments also include placements in dozens of feature films. Writing the theme song for the WB show Pop Stars, she's written for artists like Nick Carter, Keisha, Sam Moore, and many others. Michelle is about as accomplished as it gets when it comes to licensing, and during our hour-long conversation, she drops some amazing knowledge and insight into the world of sync licensing, publishing, and songwriting. If you're interested in learning about licensing, Pull up a seat, pour yourself a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage of choice, maybe have a pen and paper so that you can take notes and enjoy. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Michelle Weiss-Maslin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Music, Money, and Life. I'm really excited today. I have a great guest for for you guys. I feel like my guests are getting better and better. But I'm really excited today to be speaking with Michelle Weiss-Maslin, and and she is an Emmy Award-winning number one hit music producer, arranger, and songwriter, and music publisher. She's done a lot of work. She's had over 5,000 music placements. She has a really, really impressive resume, and we're going to get into some of her work and where her music has been used. Uh, Michelle, one of the things I wanted to ask you about first, because I know you've done a lot of licensing, but you've also worked with a lot of other artists and placing songs for other artists. And I'm, I'm a little bit interested to kind of get into that aspect of what you've been doing. How long have you been writing music for other artists? Well, I originally started out writing music for myself as an artist myself, which I guess most of us do. You know, we kind of morph into these other positions. Yeah. And I had my first recording with another artist in 1987 actually and it was with sam moore from sam and dave if you remember i'm the soul man a lot of people don't young people don't know who he is but he was just in the inauguration he just sang he's very famous performer and junior walker who was a famous sax player and funk soul artist and they were the first artists that recorded my songs and um, it was actually for a movie called tapeheads 
Okay, I vaguely remember that that movie. Mm-hmm. It airs on TV all the time. John Cusack starred in it. It was John Cusack and Tim Robbins' first movie. Fran Drescher's in it. Rosie O'Donnell's in it. It's a really cool cast, actually. Cool. So you wrote a, so- a song that was in tape ads, and then since then, you've it looks like you've done a, a lot more work. Your, your music has been heard all over the place. What is that like in terms of getting cuts? Because like I typically on this podcast, I'm not sure how familiar you are with my podcast, but I typically focus on TV and film licensing. So this is sort of a, an entire different part of the music business that I'm not that familiar with. What is that process like in terms of writing songs for other artists? How does that, that work from a business standpoint? Well, you know, it actually is kind of similar. Uh, you write a song and pitch it. And yeah. I used to used to pitch much more for artists and get cuts with artists. But then, of course, it became not lucrative anymore to do that. Hmm. So okay. I morphed more into film and TV. But my first cuts were in movies. So I actually started out, I would say, backwards than most people did at that time. At that time, having songs in film and television was not cool. People did not think it was very cool. It was kind yeah. of almost like selling out. It was very strange. So I got lucky that my first cuts were both. They were for artists and in films, which has been really great because, of course, that's the gift of they keep paying because they yeah. play in air, right? You know, if they were just with the artists, you wouldn't hear them anymore. So that was that's basically – so when I wrote a song, I would write a song just trying to write a great song uh, in a certain genre – that I was writing that day. And then I would run around like a crazy woman sending songs to A&R people and managers trying to get the songs cut and was able to do that. Kind of like pitching to music supervisors. You know, I I cold pitched, really cold. I mean, I I would go to a lot of schmoozes and meet a lot of people back in the day, but... I was pretty much cold pitching the songs and yeah. and uh, hoping for the best. And sometimes you get lucky, right? You know, you um, I had uh, uh, the songs that I pitched uh, for pop stars for Eden's Crush, which was the number one TV show and also a number one album. Uh, Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. These are songs that I actually pitched in the mail in those days because it was a little before the internet, but CDs in the mail to A&R people. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Cool. So is that something you said you've sort of transitioned more into TV and film work? Are you still involved in that part of the business? Do you still write songs for other artists? I, you know, it's very interesting to me because I've decided only in the last six months to go back and pitch more songs for artists. I've been doing a lot of stuff in Asia and overseas continuously, but not very much domestically. I haven't, I've been much more focused on film and TV and not on pitching songs to artists. But about six months ago, I started pitching the songs to the A&R people again. Um, And and basically telling them I haven't been doing this for so long. And, um, you know, I'm excited to send songs to them for their artists now. So it is a a new goal of mine, because even though it's not lucrative, it's prestigious. Okay, know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It it looks great on on the resume. Yeah, exactly. But the, the amount of money to be had from it is very small these days, except in Japan, where the amount of money is fabulous. 
And and why is the money so small? Is that just because people don't buy as much music, th- so there's not as many royalties to to share? Exactly. Nobody's buying any music. They're just streaming, and there's no money in streaming. You yeah. could have like like you know ten million streams and make nine dollars. I mean, there is there are, for the Jeez. writers and the publishers. The writer and publisher share of streaming is like five percent. Yeah. As compared to like 45% for the label. So there's no money for the writers and publishers and streaming. And because hopefully with all this lobbying and all these hopeful changes, this is going to change a little bit in our favor. But because it doesn't, you know, and, and if you have an album on, I mean, a song on somebody, a big artist album, it sell a hundred thousand copies. Yeah. So, so you, there's just no money. I mean, if you have the single, there's a little bit of money. But to have a song on a, a, even a major, major artist album is, there's nothing now. So. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're still, you're still pursuing it to a certain extent for the prestige factor, but it's, it doesn't sound like it's incredibly lucrative at this point. That's, that's what I see. Yes, exactly. But it is nice. And, you know, it's nice if you get some sinks from it. You know, yeah. going back to sinks, it's nice because it, as long as you don't have a really dark, sad song, if you write something uplifting and happy for an artist and you can get it synced a lot. So that's very nice. Very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about the sync aspect of what you do, because you've it looks like you've synced in enormous amount of music you have a long long list of credits you actually won am i reading this right that you won an emmy for one of your placements i won an emmy for guiding light for being Mm -hmm. on the music team of guiding light i was on the music team for 18 years for the show which was an amazing gift and i was nominated for another emmy for one life to live interesting what is for original song Okay, cool. And what is it like? What does that mean that you were on the music team for for Guiding Light? What did that entail? I wrote like most of the songs that were used. Not all of the songs. There were still some other writers, songwriters who contributed songs to the show. But I wrote the predominant amount of songs that were used on the show. So not the underscore. There were composers on the team. Mm -hmm. But it was the songs. And they were used, you know, in love scenes, dance scenes, montages, everything. It was amazing. Cool. And being on the music team, does that involve, is there an office that you go to? Are you actually on site working with the producers and editors? What What is that like? No, we were, we all freelanced. All the composers okay. on the show freelanced. I did, I did another world for eight years and Guiding Light for 18 years. And then I wrote songs for a lot of the soaps. I noticed your first placement was in a soap. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's I've very, had, very cool. I've had a few, a few soap placements over the years. All My Children, The Young and the Restless, uh, primarily those two shows. But but yeah. Yeah, I've had songs on those shows too. Yeah, they're great. And and um, yeah, you also had tons of placements. It's wonderful. Uh, so, so. The, the those being writing for soaps was so lucrative yeah that it was an amazing gift that i had to write for those shows and unfortunately my main shows all were canceled 
And I'm so glad I didn't put all my eggs in those baskets because I could have because it, they were it was so lucrative. I didn't need to do anything else. Yeah, but I'm I'm so glad I did. I, I always knew someday that is going to dry up. And if I don't work with other people, that's not going to be good because the soaps don't re-air. Yeah, so you you had the the foresight to sort of look ahead and uh, plant other seeds. Yes, yes. Well, let's talk about some of those other seeds because I mean I'm looking at your list and, and again you've had music in so many different places. I want to give people listening to this sort of an idea of some of the places that your your music has been used, and I'll I'll list a lot of these in the on my website when I send this podcast out. But you've had music on. Another World, like we mentioned, One Life to Live, Pop Stars, A Night to Remember. Um, oh, and, and speaking of Another World, over 300 song uses on just that show alone. King of the Hill, Ghost Whisperer, The Office, Sons of Anarchy, Close to Home, Running Wild. I mean, it, it goes on and on. Are you – I mean, I'm assuming, Michelle, at this point, <clears throat> you you live off money you make primarily fr- from licensing? Is that – Am I interpreting the situation correctly? Yes, you're yeah. correct. Cool. Exactly correct. Yes. I, I've lived off licensing for, I don't know, 25 years or something, a long, long time. I'm, yeah. I'm, well, preser- I'm well preserved. Yeah. And um, um, yes, yeah, so, so predominantly from licensing and it used to be from artists also, from yeah. you know, radio money and, and record sales and stuff like that. But, and also I do a lot of commissions and a lot of production. So you know, there's that kind of income too with the production income, which is really nice. I love, I love producing the best. Actually, producing is really my passion. Is it? Okay, interesting. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love it. Cool. Well, I mean, as you know, in this podcast, I tend to sort of focus on on licensing. Can you Mm -hmm. talk about, like, how are you getting all these placements? Obviously, you've been doing this a long time, and you've, um, I'm assuming, built up a great network and team of people that you work with. But who are you getting these, these, like, what types of people are you getting the placements through primarily? Okay, that's great. I I mostly am getting the placements through the music supervisors directly. Okay. I will say in the last year, two years, that that is getting more difficult, that the libraries are taking over a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I also diversify now. I didn't in the past, but now I work with some libraries, exclusive and non-exclusive. The exclusive ones only commission. So not existing songs, but commissioning new songs. I love doing that. And then they can place the songs, but I also pitch those. Yeah. And, and but primarily I know, you know, 1600 music supervisors. Yeah. And I'm, they sometimes they're contacting me asking for songs. Sometimes I'm soliciting them when I have new songs or checking in with them. You know, I guess like you do, right? To, to try and, and see what opportunities are available and what m- the music I have will will work with those opportunities. It's usually very fast, so not enough time to create something. Usually, it's something I have. Yeah. So, what advice? Because you know, you obviously you've been doing this so long. I'm sure it's. I'm assuming it's easier for you than somebody starting out today. But what advice do you have for writers that are just sort of new to this? Maybe they've only been at this a year or two and they're building up their catalog. 
do you think they should go to libraries primarily or, or what route should they take to get their foot in the door? Well, you know, I actually think that I don't have an advantage. Really? Why no, is that? Because I'm boring. In, in People, what, in what the sense? music su- if you're going to because if you ask any music supervisor, they all know me. Yeah. And a lot of them will come to me because it's tried and true. But a lot of them will go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. I know Michelle. What else you got? Because mm, I've been doing it and I've been around. They, I believe the playing field is equal. And that's what's so exciting for new writers and artists and for your listeners. Yeah. It's so level. It, it, you know, because everybody wants to find somebody new. So if they discover somebody new, that is so exciting. Not only did they get a great piece of music, but they discovered a new resource, a new writer, someone they can talk about, someone they can um, take kudos for in the development of that artist and writer. So I actually feel that they, they, I feel it's all about tenacity and all about research and all about getting out there and working really hard because I feel they have just as much opportunity as I do. And that it's, it's interesting that way. Yeah, no, that's an interesting perspective, the idea that you're so established and you've been at this so long that they're, everybody's sort of familiar with you. So in a sense, maybe if you're an up-and-comer, up you, you have somewhat of an advantage in the sense that you maybe you have like a fresh sound, you have something new to bring to the table. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. And and a fresh name. And I work with a lot of new artists, so I feel like the sounds stay fresh because I'm working with a lot of new people and different people in my team. But I feel that the name value of a new person can be very strong. So I feel that if they get out there and they try and they pitch and they schmooze, they and they're honest. You know, mm-hmm. if they put they put in the subject of their link, I'm new at this. I have no idea what I'm doing, yeah. but I believe. But I believe in this song for you and yeah. your project. I think they have just as much, or again, like you were saying, maybe even an advantage. To my first, for instance, my first song that I had placed on that in that movie, I actually submitted under a pseudonym to the director. Really? Because it was an R&B song, and I, I was an artist who did very, very avant-garde performance art, almost like Bjork. It was so out okay. that, that the A&R guys would sit there at my shows with their jaws dropped. <laughs> so, so when I decided and knew about this opportunity to write something very mainstream, the only way that I could give it to the director, whom I knew... Because he never would have listened to it if he thought it was mine. You know, he knew what I did as an as a writer and an artist. I told him a friend wrote it. Interesting. And I got it in the movie. And, and you... that's how, yeah, that's how I became a pop songwriter. So it's almost the same kind of reinvention that almost later in life works. The, the you know the to to now I'm so known. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation. Let me ask you this question, Michelle. So one of the questions that I'm asking everybody that I bring on my podcast as of late 
is whether or not music licensing is a viable career path. And obviously, you're, it sounds like you're doing really well because you've built this up over so many years. What about if you're starting out today in terms of doing this as a career? What is your take on that? Oh, I think that just to backtrack a little bit to include this in the question you asked before about should they pitch direct or use libraries, I think they should sure. use libraries too. Libraries are wonderful. I, I suggest the non-exclusive ones, not the exclusive ones that tie your songs up for years and maybe never place anything, but there's a lot of great non-exclusive libraries out there that are always looking for new music, and I think that they should do that as well as yeah. Pitching as pitching direct because you never know where the, the the placement is going to come from and even if you're losing some of the publishing or all of the publishing it doesn't matter it it all washes out so I think that is it lucrative I think it it's a possibility yeah. I think it's much more difficult now but that said anything and everything is possible you know the problem now is there are too many networks. So, yes, there are more opportunities, but all the fees have dropped. All the royalty rates have dropped. So in, in, now I have to or a new person would have to maybe place 20 songs for the one song I used to place in like Ghost Whisperer for the mm. same amount of same amount of money. So I think we're all working harder, working more hours, chasing these placements. And so it's. Not as lucrative as it was, but it's still possible. Do you find that? I mean, <clears throat> well, do I, it too. Th that definitely is the consensus, you know, and, and it's interesting getting different people's perspective on this question, but pretty much the consensus seems to be more or less what you've just said, that it's possible. Like somebody else that I asked this question to recently said, it's possible in the same way that, you know, trying to become an actor as a career is possible. Like, of course it's possible, but, but it's hard. And, and I think we're all in agreement that it's, that it's harder than it used to be. But that's one of the, one of the reasons I like to ask this question is I like to get perspective from different people in the industry. Do you feel like this, do you feel like we've sort of reached a plateau in terms of prices going down? Do you do you feel do you feel like it's bottomed out? And do you think it will get better going forward? Because, as you know, industries change and, and fluctuate. Do you do you have any reason to believe that in the near future things will improve? Uh, price wise, no. Unfortunately, you know what happened is these young new artists and writers drove the prices down. They were willing to give their music up for ad cards and gratis, you know, just for just for the chance to have their music used and make the back end. Yeah. So some shows, some productions still pay all right, but um, I I'm not seeing it that it's going to escalate. No, I don't think it's bottomed out even, which mm. is a pro which is a problem. I'm hoping it's going to at least just stay status quo right now because it's already so low. And actually that is another place where a new artist and writer has an advantage over someone like me is because the music supervisors, not only has the, have the fees gone down, their fees have gone down. So they're doing a ton of projects at once because they're not making as much money and they're embarrassed 
to come to people like me with the budgets they have. Yeah, because they're so low. Yes, they're so low. And of course, I'm saying, please come to me because I need to license the songs and I'm happy to work in your budget. Yeah, I mean, because what I don't have a choice, I, there's no negotiating anymore. There used to even be negotiation possible. So I feel that, you know, maybe they're going to go to a new artist, to a new writer, because they're embarrassed to come to the older regime and not old in age, but the, the people who are established because they're, they're, they've, many have told me, I'm embarrassed. I can't offer you this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just, it's terrible. I have no money. And so I think it's a good question. And I, and I mean, how, what do you think? <clears throat> well, to be honest, I don't know, you know, which is one, one of the reasons I do this podcast is I definitely don't have all the answers and I haven't been, I haven't been at this as long as you have, but I mean, I licensed my first song in 2002 and I mean, undoubtedly since then prices have, have gone down. And I think part of it is, just for the obvious reason that there's just simply more people doing this. And I think, I think that, and with the declining music sales, more and more musicians turn to licensing because it's one of the few places where there, where there is at least some money. So it makes sense to me that prices have gone down because it it is sort of a a supply and demand issue. But one of the reasons I like to do this podcast and network and speak with people like you is to, to kind of find out, to get a different perspective on the industry. I mean, let me ask you this question where, what types of placements are you finding pay the most? Is there, are there any silver linings that, that you know of in terms of these types of placements still pay substantial? Well, the things that pill still pay substantially are ads. Yep, exactly. Right. And I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Ads and trailers. So, if you can land some ads and trailers, that's still very lucrative. Um, that's because why the ads and trailers are, ba- are, are from big companies. They're big corporate gigs and corporate gigs. It's sort of like you, if you play in a band that plays corporate gigs, there's yeah. still money that for live stuff. So that's where the money is. In, in TV, the money is in network. So if you can, but it's a catch 22 because now if you place a song in a network show, usually the sync master fee is higher and the royalties are higher, but they don't re-air like as much. So like I had um, some songs in Sun, um, a song in Sons of Anarchy that's only re-aired once, whereas songs and things like the Bad Girls Club on E air, air like a thousand times. Yeah. So it's hard to figure. Uh, probably the E show even made more in the long run because it airs and airs and airs and it reruns and it comes back. And the network shows don't re-air that much. They only re-air maybe once a year. You know, they're always they do their season and then they're done. Yeah. So right. you, yeah. So even though you're getting a larger sync fee, there you're getting per, maybe even more royalties from these other shows just because they air so so many times. Right, and they air foreign too. For some reason, you know, foreign they do really, really well. Those reality kind of shows, you know, foreign people they love those American reality shows. So, and things like the the song, things like the Laguna Beach and the Hills that I have music in, they air all over the world, like all the time. So that is uh, really great. And also movies, you know, movies, films, feature films. 
not indie films, but feature films still pay quite well. And they're, they're nice to work on. And I wouldn't say they're more difficult to get placements in. It's the same type of things. You have to chase them. You have to read, like I read Billboard and I read Variety and The Hollywood Reporter every day and all these other trades, you know, looking to see what's being made, what's new, what's possible, who's the music supervisor on that project. And so I think it's, I mean, I think it's possible, but I think what happens is that people don't work hard enough. So, you know, people like you and me were, at least for me, I'm working 16, 17 hours a day. Wow. You're still putting in that many hours. still putting in all those hours and six days a week. I finally take off Sundays, but if there's an emergency, I don't. But (laughs) pretty much, I mean, I finally started doing that. But other than that, no, every day I'm working all day marketing and all night creating the music in the studio. So I probably spend 11 hours marketing, less making the music, more time marketing. Because yeah. I feel I feel that actually writers and artists spend too much time making music and not enough time marketing it. So I think the balance should be heavier on the marketing and the trying to do the business so that, you know, the music that they create gets some placements and yeah. or gets some cuts and finds some homes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't necessarily like that fact, but I do feel like you should be spending at least as much time marketing as making music, if not, like you said, more, because I think the marketing part of it just take it just takes more work. I mean, if you're a songwriter, and I mean, I've been writing songs 20 years, I can write songs relatively easily easily but the marketing aspect of it that's really where the work comes in i I feel like so yeah i I totally agree with you yeah and i think that you know you have to have thick skin because it's survival of the fittest and i think there are opportunities for people like that who can just scoff off the rejection yeah because the rejection is endless and you know people always think oh you get to where i am and that's not thing but i'm rejected just like them all day long mostly i get no Hmm, and it doesn't it doesn't ever change it doesn't ever get better and so one has to have a great belief in themselves and in the work that they create and in the passion that they have like my slogan is music is my air and i give seminars with that with that title because music is my air so i live and breathe it and that's why i'm here and so i can hang in there yeah because because it's it's and if it's not that for somebody then the opportunities are less if somebody thinks that they can put in a normal business day or a few hours a day or oh it's really rough you know i want i i want them to work harder yeah yeah that, that, yeah go ahead no, yeah just to get the pot because the, the possibilities exist and they're out there but and like you and like you i mentor people to help them learn to do this and to because first of all there's not enough work i mean there's more than enough work to go around the money might not be that big for every project but you and i cannot write all the songs that are necessary for all of the places that need music yeah right there's, yeah. If someone works really, really hard, there's opportunity galore out there to be had. It's just getting it. And and for me also, you know, the no's, I don't care about no's. No's don't even affect me. I just need to make enough, get enough yeses to pay the bills. 
Yeah. The yeses are right. What's important. The nos are like, you know, some people get really stopped by the nos and that's whatever, you know, yeah. all day. Right? Yeah. 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 Pe- so people, can, like, yes. people can take rejection. I think especially with something like music, because it tends to be such a, it's a thing that artists tend to invest themselves in their music emotionally. So when someone says no, or they don't like it, it can kind of sting a little bit, but yeah, I think you have to just not be so take, you can't take it so personally. It's, it's, you're going to be rejected. Right. It's all subjective. And also it's all subjective what someone likes, but it's also subjective what is right for the project. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, a lot of people get very angry with the music supervisors. Well, first of all, they want to find the music because they need to find the music. So if you make it easier for them by giving them what they need, they're happy. Yeah, they're not. They're not like the enemy. You know, everybody needs it's a symbiotic relationship. We have music. They need it. And yeah. so, you know, they they want to find it. But can you imagine how much music they have to listen to? And not only that, but it's not their choice because they find something they personally love. And then the director or the producer cut, cuts them down Yeah. and says no. Yeah. So now they're back again at square one trying to feed more possibilities to their powers that be. So I think that that's another important thing for your listeners, for younger um, people starting out, is to know that they these music supervisors are so exhausted. I mean, they're so busy. I just music supervised a film, and it's really hard. I, I, I mean, it's much more difficult than I anticipated. And the amount of – and just to clear music is so difficult. I'm sure. What uh, film did you supervise? This film is called Con Man, and it's finished now. I'm just wor- I'm just finishing the production of the end title, which I wrote. Okay. And it's uh, it's a docudrama. It's very very good. It's very cool. Talia Shire and Michael Kahn and Vin Grames and some other cool people star in it. And it's uh, hopefully will be out at festivals soon. Awesome. It's almost done. It's almost done. Yeah. And I. I, I can just tell you, being on the other side is is really rough for yeah. all you music creators out there. I mean, it really gave me another new appreciation of how hard it is and how many facets go into music supervising something. So, you know, we have to we have to see the, the, the music supervisors as our allies. Really, a lot of people get so angry and they're like, oh, they didn't this and they didn't that. The only thing that upsets me is, you know, there are, it, it's kind of... It often happens that a music supervisor will ask me for music and then never download it. And mm. I think that's the most heartbreaking thing. And what, and why what, did you, you ask me for it if you don't? I, I spent two hours compiling songs for you. Yeah. And why do you think yeah. that is? Is it just because they're too, oh, too busy? Or I don't it? know. I really don't know. But it's heartbreaking. That That's for me is the, is the is the difficult moment. Yeah. It's like I just spent so much time and heart finding and pulling songs for you and you didn't download the file. And you didn't wow. even listen to it. Yeah. No. And 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 this is not me solicit it's a, it's one thing if I solicit them and they don't listen. That's okay. Yeah. Like like it's another thing too for everyone to understand if you're soliciting someone and sending music and they don't listen, that's the way it goes. You know, I would say that 10% of what I send out gets listened to and 1% gets cut. And I'm, I'm sending thousands of pitches, not like 10. 
Yeah. Like thousands and thousands of pitches. Yeah, so, that, that's really interesting to hear. I think, that, you know, for people listening to this, um, that I mean, for me, that totally puts things in perspective. Because if, if you're only getting – if someone like you, Michelle, who's so established in this – and again, I'll re- we'll direct everybody to your website at the end of this, but you have so many placements and such a long track record. If even you are only getting 10% of your tracks listened to, 1% actually licensed, I mean, for me, that really kind of puts the whole industry in perspective. Yes, it's really difficult. I'd say for every thousand pitches, I get something placed or something cut. Wow. And, and yes. And it's wow. always been like that. I mean, I'm working, 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 working. Yeah. I, I will say, I will say too that the one thing I tell people is I feel artists have a great advantage over songwriters. Uh, artists that are, you know, so artists that are writers, yeah. as opposed to someone like me who's a writer producer, because I have a thousand songs that I'm pitching piecemeal. It's much more difficult. I have to pay attention to really what the music supervisor is looking for. In other words, for genre, for tone, for what the, what is on the show. Whereas if you're an artist, you can create every so often a 10-song album and send that album out in e-form. You know, nobody wants CDs anymore, an e-album. E- 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 in to every music supervisor on the planet and just offer it to have, for them to have handy in, yeah. and, and in the genre that you do. So if you're a singer songwriter, you're a rock artist, you're a heavy metal artist, you're an EDM artist, whatever you are, if you, you make that product and you're sending that out, it's, it's really an advantage. Like, um, I'm right now mentoring somebody who has a catalog of Hawaiian music. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. He has a specialty. You yeah. know what I mean? A specialty yeah. that he can offer to everybody. And it's it's much easier to market that than for all of us who are listening, who are writer-producers like me, it's, it, it is a much more difficult gig. So I would even say maybe find an artist to work with and put out an album with them. Interesting. So it's easier in the sense that they have a definable sound that they can present to supervisors as opposed to sort of writing music that's all over the map. Yes. And without getting them angry, because for instance, let's say the music supervisor of Nashville, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go send her for Nashville um, some EDM songs. I have to make sure I send her country songs. But an artist can just send that music supervisor a 10 song album. And just yeah. say, when you, when you need songs like this, I want to introduce myself to you, and you can have this handy. Know what I mean? Yeah, like, that I makes have sense. a friend who's an artist who does that. Every so often, she puts out a 10-song album, and she gets gazillions of placements from, from her work. Yes. Yeah. Whereas, whereas for people like you and me, or, or if you're – because you write everything, right? Well, I mean, I to be honest, I guess I consider myself more of an artist. I mean, I've ah. written in different styles because over the years, like my – like one of the publishers I've worked with would come to me and say, we need like a goth rock song or we need a – uh, EDM song. So I've sort of dabbled in, in different styles, but like for the most part, I write singer, songwriter, pop rock kind of stuff. Okay, so that's great. So then I feel you do have an advantage like to every so often make a 10 song album and and introduce it 
and yeah. do some gigs so that you're a viable writer. Like you do gig, obviously. So, you know, so you're a viable, viable artist because they like that and send, you know, that out. With yeah. me, they're mostly coming saying, can you replace, I need a replacement for this song and it's an EDM song and it sounds like Nick Jonas and they, they were coming to me for that kind of thing. Okay, gotcha. Or, or the singer-songwriters that I work with, but they're still piecemealed songs. They're, they're, they're you know, because I work in every genre. Yeah, so, which is more fun for me, yeah. creatively, right? But probably pitching-wise, not quite as efficient. Cool. No, that, that that's um, that's great advice. That makes a lot of sense. I wanted to circle back to one thing, Michelle, that you mentioned a few minutes ago, and you were talking about getting songs in films, and we sort of changed the subject. But I wanted to come back to that real quickly because you talked about reading Variety and Billboard and sort of doing research. Is that how you recommend artists go about trying to get their songs in, in movies? In, in other words, should they – I mean I'm sure some libraries obviously play songs in films as well. But do you feel like it's better to go directly to the supervisors for films? I feel if the supervisors are supportive and accessible and available, yes. Because first of all, financially, if your songs are in libraries, usually the libraries are not participating in sharing the sync master fees with you. Some are, but some aren't. Some you're just getting back end. Right. And, and also the, these that the the reason why the music supervisors use the libraries in addition to easy access is the fees are less. Okay. So there's a system of if it's from a library, the fees demanded are are less. Like for instance, I had a song on a network show last year. It was a CBS show, and the sync they thought the song was in a library because it had been used on a CBS show previously and they had record of that, but it wasn't, it was from my catalog. Had the song been from the library, they were paying $750 because the song was mine. They paid me 2000. It wasn't gotcha. the library piece. It was an actual piece of my, of my catalog. So it's more lucrative. The back end stays the same. The royalties that doesn't doesn't change on. But for the front end, the the fees are actually less. That's why all those libraries exist to help funnel less expensive music. So for that reason, it's better. But if the music supervisors are available, then it's wonderful to go to them because you get to work with them directly, be really creative with them, and get to know them and. Hopefully they'll use your music again, and it's a direct step. So I prefer that. I, I would think they would want to work more with the artist and writer as well because it's kind of nice, right? It's kind of creative rather than going to the library. But again, it's all good. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, put, put, put your songs in libraries. Libraries are wonderful. They do great work. And the people at libraries are doing the same thing that I'm suggesting they're research. They have people there that are researching what's going on, what the projects are, as well as supervisors coming to them going, help, I need this Cossack music in 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, plus it seems like a lot of music supervisors 
I mean, I guess everybody's different, but it seems like a lot of them don't necessarily want to be solicited directly by artists. What percentage would, would you say in your experience are actually open to that? I I agree with you that they don't love to be approached, but if they are approached and they're in a good mood <laughs> and have time, they will be there. So I I mean I wouldn't have a percentage. I mean all the music I all these music supervisors that I know, which is a thousand, ten, eleven, twelve hundred. I know so many of them have all been receptive to knowing me personally and yeah. been very and been very nice. Most of them. There's a few that have not been nice at all, but <laughs> but um, forget those, right? We only want to work with nice people who are nice right. to us and vice versa. But for the most part, they've been very nice and will take a moment to write a quick email that says, I don't need anything right now or those are, shows are done or thank you again. Or So I feel that they will be, if you write them properly. I always mentor people this. I think part of the problem is that people are very impolite these days in, in this world of texting where no one uses any pleasantries. And one has to respect people and their time. And one has to thank them. And one has to say, I know you're busy. And I thank you so much for listening. And I hope this finds you well. And, you know, some pleasantries, please. Thank yeah. you. I mean, I, I love this show and I do some research about the show. I, and I saw the show and I think my music would fit because I heard this uh, music and it, it's, you know, I feel that my music is a good fit and something that makes them feel like you're not just sending them random music. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, I think they're, and, and again, look, I once had a project where I wrote this music supervisor and I said to him, I, I just called him actually, and I calling is not good anymore. It's much better to write. But in the days of calling, I said, so I got him on the phone. Oh, you need anything for anything? He said, no, but can you do this? And he needed an instrumental. No, and that was an instrumental. It was it was to a vocal that he'd recorded a marching band arrangement of the Star Spangled Banner. Mm-hmm. Right? I had no idea how to do that. Yeah. But I said yes. Right. Because always say yes. Someone says, you know, do you have French music from the Middle Ages? Yes. Yes. I'll yes. do it. And find someone to do it with and go get it. Go make yeah. it. Because yeah. if you say no, all they hear is no. Right. But but again, this person was nice and very receptive. I cold called and I got that gig and I did it with my partner. I grabbed him and we did it. And it was in the movie. And you know, we got paid and it was fabulous. So I, I, but he was, he was open to talk to me for a second. And because he had something on his plate, he was happy to get rid of, get it off his plate. Yeah. So you just happened to connect with him at the right time. And you said yes, obviously, instead of saying no, even though maybe it wasn't something that you were accustomed, you know, stylistically to doing you, you went for it and you obviously it worked out. Exactly. So that's why I feel that if you approach the music supervisors and they're in a moment when they need something and it's fresh on their mind, they might get right back to you and be totally receptive. And you might write them at a moment where they're so swamped that they just delete your email and they cannot deal with it. And 85 people wrote them for, you know, soliciting today. Yeah. So, you know, it, 
it, it's all human. We're all human, and and so try again. Yeah. Like I believe, I believe in as long as you're polite, try again. I mean, my Nick Carter song, I pitched four times to the same A and R guy. Wow. And you know, and were you not getting any response during that? Time? I would, I no, I did not get any response, and I sent it again and sent it again and sent it again. And this was expensive because I had to send CDs, yeah. and I used to spend like twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year in the post office. Now I spend zero. Yeah. Um, which is really happy. But yes, I wasn't getting any response. And then um, for my pop star song, I actually the week before I actually did something one should not do. I said to the the assistant of the A and R person, I said, I am sick and tired of sending her songs. She never listens. I'm not sending songs anymore. Mm. Right? Yeah. Very bad. Very bad. However, amazingly, I finished this new song, and I went, Ah, it's three dollars. I popped it in the mail to her. Yeah. Got a phone call with her saying to me, "You see, I do listen to your songs." Ah, wow. So, yeah, so she took the time to listen. But, yes, and yeah. I got the single and the cut and the theme to a TV show. It was all this one huge, amazing thing. Wow. And, and you know, so I guess what I learned from that is don't give up. Yeah. And, and keep your mouth shut, which I'm not always good at, actually. And I do advise it. And, you know, we have to keep trying. We can't give up. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, that's such a great poignant story, but it, it's like, I feel like sometimes they don't give up it, like it's, it's so cliche, but it's so true, right? Like if, if it's like, I had a producer I worked with one time and he said, you know, Aaron, the only thing I can tell you for sure is that if you quit making music, you definitely won't make it. If you keep going for it, you might. So like that always stuck with me as, as you know, I, I, you got to keep going. If nothing else, just keep keep trying. Exactly. And are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, good. So I heard something drop. But but exactly, that's exactly the whole thing. If you never give up, something will happen. I do believe that. But those are the odds when we're talking about odds. However, if you do give up, like I have quite a few uh, friends, collaborators who have given up. Going mm-hmm. to law school, became a real estate attorney, you know, became a headhunter. You know what? That was great too. Yeah. Because because if it's not making you happy because you're working 17 hours a day and, and you're getting rejected all day and it's exhausting and you finally gotten to a point where you go, I want a stable life, then that's nothing to be to feel guilty about either. That's okay too. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just a personal, you know, where that line is is obviously going to be different for everyone. But um, yeah, I can certainly relate to people that decide to go pursue something else. I've I've thought about it many times over the years. I mean, for me, I keep doing this because I don't. There isn't really, you know, I've sort of done soul searching where I've looked for other things and other than internet marketing and you know some of the other music business related things. I haven't really found anything that that's grabbed me quite like music so that's why and it's wonderful that's great and it's wonderful also that you have this whole marketing machine that when i looked and saw the books and the cds and everything that you've put together and so beautifully listed and done that's very impressive so that is that is really fabulous 
that you've done that. And, and again, like you're saying, that is encompassed into music and music business and part of it. Yeah. So it's wonderful. I mean, I feel the same way because I'm unemployable. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how to do anything. Yeah. So, so you know, I think that probably propels me to hang in there um, and keep going. But it, it it isn't always easy, definitely. And everybody should not feel bad about knowing that. It's not – this is not easy. Yeah, absolutely. And And there's no – you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a day job. I mean, in a sense, that's what my website is. I just chose to, to keep it music business related and music industry related. But you, I mean, I think for all of us, we have to find a level of, of stability. I think it's really hard to make music and be creative if you're overly stressed about money and finances. So however you have to reconcile that individually, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. No, I will say that though most of the people that I know are overly stressed financially and emotionally. And in fact, yesterday I read an article in one of those music business blogs that was about uh, mental health issues. It was from the UK and and songwriters and musicians and they were polling 65% of the people they polled I think said they were depressed yeah and they all had mental issues that's what this game is yeah. that's what this is so that's why one has to have such a strong core one has to really believe and wipe away the negative i try to be very positive because if not you know it's too hard to get through the day yeah so i advise that to all your listeners is just Try to keep, try to find what's happy in all those gratitude thing. Be grateful, gratitude, write down things. You know, try to figure it out because it's so hard. And yeah, and that, and 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 I don't and I want to be inspiring because again, it is possible. Yeah. It is possible. Anybody that tells you it's not possible, that's not right because I make a living, right? Yeah. And other people do. And even though it's become more difficult, it's still possible. And so if that's one's dream, they should do it. But one has to be prepared that it's not easy. Yeah, exactly. And and fine. Yeah, I actually read the article that, that you mentioned. I wrote a blog ah. blog post based on that article. <laughs> came When did that come out? Like a couple months ago, right? Two, I saw it few. only yesterday, but I don't know when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I feel like this is a whole other subject we could talk for another hour Mm -hmm. about, but things like meditation and exercise and eating well are all super important for for musicians and people in general. Um, I can't believe... Which people don't do because they don't take the time because they're too busy working. So, you know, I mean... and they don't I, eat well because they don't have any money. So yeah. It becomes like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I, anyway, I want people to leave being inspired that it's possible. I do it. You do it. It's possible. It's totally possible, but it, but it's not easy. It's not for everybody. I, I wanted to – before we end, I wanted to say thank you, first of all, for taking an hour out of your day to do this with me. This is, really, this is a really good podcast. I feel like this is a really good one. I think people are going to get a lot out of our conversation um, I wanted to – it was just one interesting thing I wanted to ask you about before we hang up. You're actually married to the producer, Harry Maslin, who worked with Barry Manilow and David Bowie and Air Supply. How long have you guys been married? We've been married 18 years. We've been together 20. 20 so two, Actually, almost 20 and a half years. Yeah. So is yeah. that is that – 
I mean, that must be really cool in the sense that you're both in the same industry. You, I imagine you, you guys are sort of a support team for each other. It's really wonderful. The best part for someone like me is that he's been there and done that. And he, and as, as famous and accomplished as anybody could be because he produced David Bowie fame, golden years. There's nothing yeah. bigger than that. Yeah. There's things that maybe are as big, but there's nothing bigger than that. And so because he has nothing to prove, he is able to be a complete support system to me. That's really cool. And that, right, it's the biggest gift because we have, a lot of times people are competing, unfortunately, yeah. in the same career, but we have no competition because he has nothing to compete. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And he, we work together. Yeah. In the sense, in the sense that I, I write and produce everything I do, but he engineers for me and he mixes and he's like my secret weapon because he's the best. He knows yeah. what every little knob is for and every little reverb does and every mic does and he makes my, my mixes and my, my songs amazing. Yeah. Well, having a good producer is, is, is such a big part of this and, uh, you got me thinking maybe I should break up with my girlfriend and <laughs> look for a, a female producer. Well, I'm the producer. He's not the producer of my music. I'm the producer uh, of my okay. music. He's, gotcha. the He's the engineer. And that's really important for me to say because, you know, when my husband walks in the room, people assume he's the producer. Okay. Because he is a producer and because he's a male. Yeah. So, so no, I am definitely the producer of all the work that I do. And my husband engineers and he mixes. Yes, gotcha. as, as an engineer, right, because my engineering skills are not good. I do engineer vocal sessions and live sessions, but in terms of mixing, that's not my expertise. I, I know what I hear, and I can say, put more shh on this, yeah. but I don't know what accomplishes that. So, so uh, yes, but but so he's definitely not producing my music, but but definitely maybe find yourself a, a female uh, engineer. <laughs> <laughs> That's or really producer, cool. Or producer, if you if you, uh, what yeah. does your girlfriend do? I you know she she's studying filmmaking and she sings sort of sort of just for fun. You know we do a lot of open mics and we've actually gigged a little bit together. But yeah, she's kind of in the arts as well. Um, but she wants to be a screenwriter. Oh, that's perfect. See, because it's then, you know, that's like not a competitive thing. That's perfect. Yeah, no, it works and out really well. Supported. And then you can write the songs for her screen, for her films. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That would be a, a great partnership. So, Michelle, Michelle, again, thanks so much for doing this. This was awesome. I want to tell people um, where they can go learn more about you. What is the, the URL for your website? So my website is sweetersongs.com, sweeter like sugar, one word, sweetersongs.com. And my website is being revamped right now because it's not handheld accessible. And it, it might be at this right now, actually. I think that my husband's also working on that. He's amazing tech with tech stuff. And I think he's got it pretty up. Uh, but the music player w doesn't play yet in... Uh, on a handheld device unless you go to sweetersongs.com slash song styles and then it does okay so we're, we're revamping we're in the middle of revamping but still one can go there and also if one just googles my name i mean there's 
a million things that come up. Yeah, you know, I, I just thought of something. I used to do this on my podcast a lot, but I haven't lately. Can you? Can we play a song at the end of this? Is there a track that you – I know you have so many different songs, but is there something uh, that comes to mind that we can play to tag at the end of this? Sure. Um, a song to, ha- to play. Yeah, maybe something recent or something from something. a film. I mean really anything just to give people an idea of your music. Oh, my goodness. I'm so thinking like what would I, what would I want to play? Um what do your listeners mostly like? Singer songwriter stuff, or I mean, they're all over the map. You know, singer songwriters, rock, hip hop, a little bit of everything. All right. Um, oh my god. I hate to put you on the spot, but uh, you know, I, just... I know I'm just thinking. What would I, I? I don't. Oh my goodness! There's some songs I can't play because of the Japanese. Um, oh, just throw a title out that you see and let's see. Um, well, let's do this because I can edit the podcast when, after we hang up, just, um, whatever, whatever comes to mind, you can send me just anything you want or even send me two or three and I can pick one and then I'll, All right, I'll, that's I'll, perfect. I'll, I'll that's perfect. I'm so title. sorry. No, don't. My, my, my brain kind of stopped. There's so many songs. Don't worry. I, I put okay. you on the stop or I put, <laughs> I put, I put you on the, on the spot. That was not fair that's of me. Okay. No, it's fine. It's totally fine. I, I just didn't think cool. so, okay yeah so we'll figure it out after the podcast so michelle thanks so much for doing this uh sweetersongs.com go check out michelle's website and you can see all the mini placements she's had over the years michelle have a great a uh, great evening a great day and you too thank you so much for having me it was really an honor i really appreciate it yeah this was a lot of fun Yes, definitely. Thank so, you. So I w- and just so everyone knows, we met on the internet. We met on the so, internet, and you so were that's, kind enough. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's I mean that's another thing I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but so many people like you have been so gracious and uh, generous with with their time. So there's a lot of really cool people out there in the business. So don't be shy. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, bye. Thank you. Bye, Ryan. Mich- Thank you. I'll send this to you when it's ready to go. Okay, and I'll send you some songs in a sec. Sounds great. I appreciate it. Have a great night. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Michelle. She was a great guest. I really enjoyed speaking with her. I learned a lot from Michelle, and I felt really inspired after our conversation. So after we recorded the podcast, Michelle sent me a few different tracks to choose from to close out the podcast with. I've decided to go with the song she wrote that was recorded by Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. This song is called Help Me and was released on his solo album called Now or Never. Here it is, Help Me, written by Michelle Weiss-Maslin and recorded by Nick Carter. Define all the thoughts that cross my mind. They seem too big for me to choose. I don't know which ones to lose when I've fallen down so far. I think I'll never see your lights bouncing off for me, shining down here from your eyes. Help me figure out the difference between right and wrong. We control day and night where I. Just my purpose is here. Oh, yeah. It's like I got the signals crossed with messages.
So I have 